series in the book of Romans, so we're going to continue that series now. Uh, if you've got a Bible, open to um, Romans chapter 7. We've got a fairly long passage today, um, verses 7 to 25. Uh, Romans chapter 7 is all about um, God's law and the role that God's law has in our lives. And uh, last week we learned that Christ frees us from the bondage of the law, which means that the law cannot condemn us if we're in Christ. And now um, Paul talks about, uh, well, when he says we're not under the bondage of the law, you know, he knows that people are going to go, what, are you saying the law is a bad thing? Uh, so Paul answers that question in this passage. Um, but he also talks about his own experience of um, trying to keep God's law. So let's hear of uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 7 to 25. This is God's word. Uh, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me, for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. <clears throat> For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for I have the desire to, to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Okay, this is God's word. It's a 
a difficult passage, but we'll, we will ask um, God to um, enable us to understand and uh, to put it into practice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that all Scripture is God-breathed, that all Scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, uh, so that we can be equipped for every good work. And Father, we thank you for this passage that you uh, inspired the Apostle Paul to write as he recounts his own experience, uh, that struggle with trying to keep your law. Uh, We pray, Father, that we would learn from it, that we would understand it, that we we would be able to see the connection to our own life and that you would, uh, by your your spirit, enable us, Father, to, uh, to understand it and to put it into practice. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want you to imagine that uh, we took a survey today and on the survey uh, was a question that asked you to list the five biggest problems in your life um, at the moment. Now, what what kind of things um, might you list? Uh, Perhaps some of us would write down uh, the cost of living. That seems to be a pretty big problem at the moment. Uh, For some, it would certainly be a major health issue. Uh, Others might list something like an annoying boss uh, or an annoying neighbour, perhaps. Uh, Some might list the government. Um, Those who are Carlton supporters would probably be able to fill those five uh, points with uh, something to do with Michael Voss and a few of the players. But imagine, though, that the question was just put down the number one problem in your life? What, what is the biggest problem in your life right now? I wonder how many of you would write down, my biggest problem in my life is my sin. Okay, Sin is my number one problem. Now, I have no doubt that that's exactly what the Apostle Paul would write down. And I know that because of what he says in this passage. Uh, this, this is Paul, he's describing his own personal struggle to keep God's law, which is another way of saying this is, this is Paul telling us about his own personal struggle with sin. And uh, he describes uh, how he first came to understand his, the depth of his sin. Then he talks about the ongoing struggle that he had with it. And it ends with a cry for help. And uh, this is an incredibly helpful passage for us because we can all relate to what um, Paul is writing because we all have to deal with sin in our lives. And uh, therefore, we can learn a lot from the passage. So I want to look at this passage um, with you today under three headings. We see in verses 7 to 13 an inner exposure. And then in 14 to 25 an, an inner struggle. And then lastly, we see an inner confidence. And uh, what what we'll see, that when it comes to dealing with sin, we actually need all three. We need the inner exposure, the inner struggle, and the inner confidence. We need all three. So let's have a look at these sections. So first, in verses 7 to 13, we see an inner exposure. And this is where Paul talks about the way he came to understand the depth of his own sin. Okay, Paul, you know, he always knew he was a sinner. That's what the Bible teaches. But to understand the depth of it, he tells us how that happened. 
in verse 7, he says, If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what, is, what it is to covet if the law had said, You shall not covet. So this is one of the purposes of God's law. God gave his law so that we would know what we are really like. So that we would look at the way we live, look at the, the attitudes, the words that come out of our mouths, and we would be able to see it in light of the law and we would realise the true condition of our heart. And uh, Paul, that's what happened to him. He came to realise that he was actually sinful. And the, the commandment that did it for Paul the most was that tenth commandment, you shall not covet. And the tenth commandment is a particularly good example of how the law exposes our sin uh, because... Well, what does it mean to covet? To covet means to want something that is not rightfully yours. Or to look at it in another way, to covet is a refusal to be content. And so you can see coveting going on whenever we grumble. You know, whenever we grumble about our circumstances in life or the things we have to deal with. Because what are we doing there? We're, we're wishing it was different. We we're wishing it was better. That's essentially um, what coveting is. And coveting, it's clearly a problem that goes on in the inside of our lives. It's not, it's not as obvious. It's not like an outward expression uh, like, like breaking the other commandments um, might be. Uh, you see, it is possible to take the Ten Commandments and look at that list and go, you know what, I'm actually doing pretty well. Because, well, number one, I'm a monotheist. I don't worship other gods. Number two, I don't bow down to statues. Number three, I don't use God's name like a swear word. Uh, number four, I, uh, well, I don't work on Sunday. Um, five, I respect my parents, you know, get along fairly well with them. Uh, number six, I've never murdered anyone. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't stolen stuff. I'm a person who tells the truth. See, hey, I'm going really well. Then you get to that tenth commandment. And that tenth commandment, we all know we break it all the time. Um, but we assume it doesn't matter because, you know, how can coveting hurt anyone? It's, it's obviously not a big deal. And so it's easy to, you know, dismiss that one, to not really give it much thought. And yet, it's on the list. Okay, there's ten commandments. Why does that one make the list? It must be a big deal, to God at least. And it is a big deal because the 10th commandment, it's almost like a window into how all of the other commandments are to function. Because the 10th commandment shows us that God is never just about outward actions. He's never just saying, you know, make sure your outward behaviour meets a certain criteria. But it's all about what goes underneath, the heart. That's what the 10th commandment shows us, that it's that it's about internal attitudes, that the commandments are about what goes on in the, you know, the depths of our being, the very wellspring of our life, our hearts. And that's actually the way Jesus explained the law. Okay, when Jesus taught on the law, especially in his Sermon on the Mount, remember how he said, if you think you haven't murdered, think again. If you have spoken angrily at someone, Okay, if you are bitter with someone, you are committing murder in your heart. 
Uh, he says, have you ever looked lustfully at another person? You are an adulterer. You have committed adultery in your heart. Uh, or that other time, remember when Jesus, um, he had a rich young ruler say, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, think about the commandments. And he goes, yeah, no worries. Tick them all off. I'm, I've done everything. And Jesus says, well, you lack one thing. Give away your wealth. And the man couldn't do that. Now, what was Jesus doing there? Was he setting up another rule that we have to give away everything we have? No, no, he was just helping the guy see his own heart. That as soon as Jesus says, give away your wealth, and the man goes, oh, I can't do that, what's going on? Money is an idol to him. And so Jesus is helping him to see that he hadn't kept the commandments like he thought he had. That underneath, he was completely lost. <clears throat> and see, that's what Paul is saying the law did for him. Okay, in his own life. When, when that tenth commandment, when he stopped ignoring it and actually started listening to it and letting it, well, looking at it kind of like when you look into a mirror. You know when you look into a mirror and then you see where all the problems are? That's what the law does. It exposes the problems. Paul looked at that tenth commandment and then he realised that he, was, he, he hadn't kept it at all. He, he was actually sinful. It hit home he realised that he's actually sinful to the core. And we need the law to do that for us uh, because otherwise we will think we're okay. We will think that we don't have to worry about ever doing anything about the state of our lives. We can just go on without giving it much thought. But we need the law to expose that there is a deep problem in our hearts Okay, that we aren't good people. The law shows us that we are sinful. Uh, it kind of shows us that uh, for every visible sin that we see in our lives, there's actually something going on underneath the surface. That's what the 10th commandment always reminds us. There's always something going on beneath the surface. In some ways, um, sin in our life, it's like when you see an iceberg on the water, um, probably not in reality, it's on TV because we don't tend to go to places where they are, but if you see an iceberg on the water, it just might look like the size of this room and you go, wow, there's a little iceberg. But if you could see under the water, you would realise that it's far bigger than you could ever think, this enormous iceberg. And every sin in our life is like that. If we can see an, a, an action and we might go, ah, it's not too bad, it's only a small thing, it's very manageable. But if you could see under the surface, see what's actually going on behind that, you realise it's a far bigger problem than you could have ever first thought. All sins are like that. But it's only the law, God's law, that it can expose that to you, can show you the depth of the actual problem uh, with us, which is our sin. Uh, not only does Paul, does he say that the law exposed the depth of his sin, but he also says... It actually exposed the perversity of his sin. And that word perversity, it just means to do something wrong simply because it is wrong. Okay, perversity is wanting to break the law simply because there's a law there. That's perversity. And Paul talks about that in verses 8 and 9 uh, where he says, if you look at verses 8 and 9, he says, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, 
produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. So Paul did start talking about this back in verse 5 of this chapter, and we we spoke about it last week. Uh, It's the idea that, that sin, the sin in us, it kind of lays dormant until we hear the law, and then all of a sudden it springs into action and we actually want to go against the law. Uh, The law arouses sin. Now, it's not that God's law causes sin. Uh, God's law doesn't produce sin. Sin is already in us. But it lays dormant until the command comes, and then it comes alive and wants to break God's command. That's, That's the way sin works, because sin at its heart, what is it? It's a rebelliousness. Sin is rebellion. Sin says, no one tells me what to do. And so what happens when we hear the law, uh, that's what stirs it up, to want to go against God's command. Uh, It's like when you uh, see a sign at a museum and the sign says, um, no entry, and all of a sudden you're thinking, what's in there? (laughs) And you feel this urge to go in there. I know I certainly had that as a child before security cameras were around and Saw some interesting things, but anyway, we won't go into that. But what this is, it's the perversity of the heart. The perversity of the heart is that we want to go against God's commands simply because they're commands, and we don't like being told what to do and how to live our lives. That's what Paul came to see with coveting. Okay, he saw the law, said do not covet, and he could see that, that he wanted to actually go against that. See, and so the law, not only... It not only defines sin, but it exposes it. It shows how deep it goes in our lives and it shows how perverse um, sin actually is. And not only that, the law also exposes how helpless we are in our sin. And you can see that in verses 9 to 13. Uh, Do you notice all of the the references to death in verses 9 to 13? Paul says, the law came and I died. The law, he says in verse 11, killed him. And all of these references to death, what he's saying is when when the law finally hit home to him, it felt like it killed him. Now, you've got to remember, Paul grew up in a Jewish home. He would have learnt the Ten Commandments from from, the very beginning, right? Right? But it wasn't until it actually hit home in his life and then it felt like he died. Because up until that point, he thought he was a good person. You know, he thought he was spiritually alive, someone who God would have you know, given the thumbs up to. But then when the law finally hit home, he realised that he's actually spiritually dead, totally lost, sinful to the core. The law exposed how helpless he was how he actually needed a saviour. Now, when did it do that for Paul? At what point did the law expose his need for a saviour? Well, it actually wasn't until he met the saviour. So once he met Jesus, then everything... <laughs> he re-examined everything, went back to the drawing board and realised all this time he was completely lost and didn't realise it. Now, we all need 
the law to do that in our lives. We, we actually need it. We need the law to do that. And the reason why is because otherwise we'll be blind to our true condition. Otherwise we'll go around in life thinking that everything's okay when it's actually not. Now, if we don't have the law to expose the depth of our sin and the true nature of our sin, we'll keep thinking that we're, we're basically good and that all of our problems in life can be blamed on something outside of us. You know, we can blame it on uh, something done to us, you know, the fact that we were you know, maybe not brought up so well or, or mistreated in some way. Uh, or we'll blame it on, you know, genetic malfunction or uh, just, just something that's not our fault. Rather than seeing that our problem, our number one problem, is, like what Paul came to see, that we are sinful. That we are sin- sinful human beings. Now, that's not to deny that there are external factors that shape us. Right? But we need to realise that our main problem, the number one problem, our deepest problem, is our sinfulness. In fact, until we realise that, we won't look for a saviour. We'll just assume that all, all that we need is a life coach, someone to give us a few tips and we'll just clean our lives up. No, no, the problem's far deeper. We actually need a saviour. Everyone needs Jesus. But only those who have, who have seen themselves for what they really are will actually reach out to him. And so we need to have the same experience that Paul had of realising the depth of our sin, the perversity of our sin, and how helpless we are. Then we will go, I need a saviour. I need Jesus. So that's the first thing. That's the inner exposure. We all need that. Uh, The second thing we see here, though, is an inner struggle. And that's in verse 14 to uh, the end of the passage, really. And this is where Paul talks about his own struggle uh, with sin as he tried to keep God's law. Now, Paul, the description of his struggle in these verses, it's so frank, it's so transparent, and it's so stark that it's actually had a lot of people go, Paul is actually talking about his life before he became a Christian, not, not after he became a Christian. Because Christians don't talk like this, especially not in public. You know, we don't write letters to churches saying, you know, this is what I'm like. Uh, you know, some of the things Paul says, he says uh, in verse 14, I am of the flesh sold under sin. Doesn't sound like the way Christians talk. Uh, he goes on to say, I have the desire to do what is right, but listen, not the ability to carry it out. That sounds a bit defeatist. He says, the evil I do not want to do is what I keep on doing. Imagine if someone came up onto the stage and said, hey, everyone, the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing. Wouldn't we be going, yikes, what's going on with that guy? And so as a result, people think, well, Paul must be talking about his life before he became a Christian. You know, perhaps when he was a Pharisee and and trying to keep the law, but just by willpower and finding that he couldn't do it. And and I can understand why people embrace that view. You know, there's a lot of... um, aspects of this passage that seem to fit that and yet there are other aspects that don't fit that. Uh, For example, uh, Paul, 
in verse 14, the, um, I know this is a grammar lesson, but the tenses change. You know, verses 7 to 13, he's talking in the past, when he first came to understand his sin. But when you get to verse 14, it changes. He starts talking in the present tense. He says, you know, I, me, my, they're all talking about Paul's experience in the present. So it makes more sense to see him talking about the present experience that he had at the time of writing, which is when he's a Christian. Now, there's a whole heap of other technical things that I could point out like that, but I'll just give you the number one reason why I think this is Paul actually talking as a believer, describing his experience as someone who's converted. And the main reason is is because of what he says in verse uh, 22, where Paul says, if you look at verse 22, he says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Now, last week, we talked about the law, right? And, and how, how the law is experienced by someone who's unconverted. And remember the illustration that Paul gave last week about marriage? And he says, before you become a Christian, we're kind of bound to the law, and it's kind of like being married to a, to a husband that you can never satisfy, someone who always points out your faults, someone who, no matter how hard you try, always says, nope, not good enough. And it's a horrible burden. That's, that's how a non-Christian experiences the law, as a burden, something that no matter what you do, you just can't fulfill the law. All that the law does is condemn you. It points out all your faults and has no mercy, nothing to offer to you to help you. You're just sort of left as a failure, condemned. That's, that's the experience of the law for someone before they're converted. And so for Paul to say, I delight in the law of God in my inner being, the only reason he can say that is if he's justified in Christ. Okay? If he has been declared righteous you know, if the way God looks at him, God looks at him as if he's kept the whole law because Christ kept it all for him. And once you have that, then you can delight in the law because it no longer condemns you. Instead, it shows you what God is like. It shows you how you can enjoy God, how you can live in fellowship with him. That's when the law becomes a delight, only once you're justified in Christ. And because Paul delighted in the law of God so much, that's why it upset him every time he broke it. And so Paul, I think he is describing the struggle against sin that every believer experiences. And in some ironical way, uh, there is some comfort in that. Because I read this passage and I go, finally, someone who understands me. Because don't you know what it feels like to struggle against sin? To sometimes fall back into it and to be going, why did I do that again? Now, if we look carefully at um, the way Paul describes his struggle, um, you'll notice that he's doing something all the way through this passage. He's making a distinction between between who he is and what sin does. 
You see that right through this passage. Paul makes this distinction between who he is and what he does, and, and sorry, what sin does. So if you look at verse 17, uh, Paul says, uh, it is now, uh, it is no longer I who do it, <clears throat> that is the, the sin, but sin that dwells within me. Uh, he says, nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. Uh, then down in verse 20, uh, now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Do you see that distinction? You know, who, who Paul is and what sin does in him? And so what Paul is doing here, he's showing that, that inside of him is this inner conflict between the, the new Paul, okay, the converted Paul, and the old sinful Paul. Okay, there's a new self and an old self in Paul. He can see that. Uh, the new self who delights in God's law, wants to live God's way, and the old self that rebels against God, disobeys God. And these, these two selves, the old self and the new self, are in conflict. Uh, you see that right through the passage. Now the question is, which one is the true Paul? Uh, you know, new self, old self, are they just like in this constant battle? And, and No, but which one is the true Paul? It's the new self. Uh, Paul's identity, how does he see himself? He sees himself as, as someone who is a new person, a new creation in Christ, someone who wants to do what God wants, and yet the old self is still there, still trying to drag him back to the old ways. And uh, that's why right through the passage, you never hear Paul saying, I want to do evil. I want to disobey. You never hear him saying that. He always says, I want to do good. I want to obey God. I don't want to do evil because that's Paul's true identity. That's who he is in the core of his being. He's this new, new person. And yet what is clear in the passage is that the old self, the sin nature, it's still present in his life, still making him do things that he actually doesn't want to do, still giving in to sin. And so that's the sin nature dwelling within him and so Paul is really saying in this passage, sin is something I do, it's not who I am. Okay, did you hear that? This is what a believer can say, sin is something I do, even though I don't want to, but it's not something I am. Okay, it doesn't define my life anymore, Christ does. Now before we're converted, we actually can't say that. Before we're converted, there's no new self, old self distinction, there's just a self. And it's a self enslaved by sin. Right? But when, when Christ saves us, he actually sets us free from the dominion of sin, which is what chapter 6 was all about. And so now you're a new self, but until the day you die, the old self is still there, still making obedience to God an absolute struggle, a very intense struggle. In fact, verses 21 to 23 give us three word pictures to, to help us to see what we're up against when it comes to the old, the old self that's in us. Have a look at verses 21 to 23. Uh, it says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, 
but I see in my members another law, waging a war against the law of my mind and making me a captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So there's three word pictures that show us what sin is like. The first one is, Paul says, it's a, a law, there's a law of sin. A law of sin. Did you see that in verse 23? Which is really confusing because Paul's using the word law in a different way to everywhere else he uses it in this passage. He's using it there. You know when we talk about the law of gravity? The law of gravity is saying that it's an inescapable force. And the law of gravity is a very good illustration for the law of sin. Because with, when, with gravity, it's something you can't escape. Okay, you, you can't make a resolution in your life that from this day forward, I'm not going to be influenced by gravity anymore. If you do that, I guarantee you'll be dead in a week because you'll try to do something really stupid to defy gravity. But you can't. It just pulls you back down again. Okay, you can't, like, here comes a truck, oh, that's all right, I'll just jump over it. No, you can't do that. Gravity will pull you back down. And sin is like that in our lives. It's like this inescapable force that... We can't just go, you know, from this day forth, I'll never sin again. No, no, it's there. It's like a force pulling us toward itself so that we, you know, it's always a struggle. It's something that takes effort to resist. We, we can't just go, you know, I'll just sit back and I'm sure it'll all work out. No, no, that's going along with it. Now, there's another word picture here, and that is the picture of a war. You see that in verse 23 where Paul says, uh, that the, the law of sin is waging war against me. And he says it's a war against his members. Uh, members, we've talked about that. Uh, that means every part of us. You know, our members are things like our eyes, ears, <laughs> mouth, tongue, uh, our mind, hands, feet, the heart. It's just every part of us. And when, when Paul says... Sin is waging war in his members. He's saying that every aspect of our being is a battleground where sin is trying to take back turf, trying to, to win the day. Uh, and if you're in a war and you're on the battlefield, you can't just go, look, I want a break, I'm just going to sit down and have a Kit Kat. You can't do that because if you're in the middle of a battle, what's going to happen? If you sit down, you're a goner. It's like that with the war of sin. The moment you relax, you're in trouble. And then the other word picture he uses is um, captivity. He says that the law of sin is making me, uh, trying to make me captive. Uh, and, and to be a captive, a captive is someone who is uh, held against their will. And so you can see what sin aims for in our lives. Sin aims to make us stuck. Okay, sin aims to, to be habitual, to be something that you do that, that even though you don't want to do. Uh, sin aims for addiction. Sin aims to turn every good thing into an idol so that we become enslaved to it. I mean, that's ultimately what an addiction is. And so you've got the law of sin, the war of sin, the captivity of sin. That's what we're up against. That's why the Christian life feels difficult 
Okay, there's no such thing as become a Christian, your life will be easy. No, become a Christian, your life will be a war, a war within. And it's no wonder that sometimes we actually can feel defeated. But is that what Paul is telling us? Is he saying that Christians should just go around feeling like, oh, life's all too hard? (laughs) You know, should we go around just feeling defeated? No, that's not what Paul is saying. He's not talking about defeat in this passage. What he's talking about, he's saying that this is what the Christian life is like. It is a struggle, a struggle against sin. It's a struggle that you wouldn't even have if you weren't born again. But once you're born again, now you're aware of it. Now you're fighting against it. And I've got a question. The more you grow as a Christian, does the battle get easier or harder? It gets harder. Do you know why? Because the more holy you become, the less holy you feel. It's the way it works. The more you become like Christ, the more you see how unlike him you remain. And, you know, at times we feel like, man, I'm actually getting worse because we start to realise there's, there's attitudes and, and heart problems that, that we were never aware of in the past. And then we start to see them and we're like, oh, man, I am so sinful. What's going on? Are we actually getting worse? No, we're seeing ourselves truly. The more you grow as a Christian, the more you see what the old self is really like. But you can only see that because you are a new self. You are a new creation in Christ. That's why you can see sin uh, with uh, clarity now. And, and listen, sometimes as Christians we do fall back into old habits. Habits that we had before we were Christians. And when that happens, what are you going to be tempted to say? You're going to be tempted to go, oh, I mustn't be a Christian because obviously nothing's changed. That's actually wrong. Do you know why? Because before you were a Christian, that habit was an expression of who you are. But now that you're in Christ, it doesn't define you anymore. Christ defines you. And that's why it upsets you so much when you fall back in. That's why sin does not have the same enjoyment that it used to have. It doesn't fit who you are anymore. It doesn't fit who you are in your inner being. It doesn't fit who you are in Christ. And so when you fall back into sin now, what do you say? You say, why do I do the very thing that I hate? Which is exactly what Paul is saying in this passage. And so something has changed. (laughs) If you see sin in your life, you're not happy with that. See, something has changed. This passage tells us that one of the marks of of a real believer is not that you do everything right. The mark of a real believer is not perfection, but struggle, warfare. The mark of a Christian is someone who is fighting against sin, not someone who's just going along with it as if nothing's changed. And so that's the inner struggle. All believers have that inner struggle. Being able to admit it is part of the freedom of fighting against sin. And so that brings us to the last point, which will be very brief, because I know it's gone on a while, but 
how do you keep going? How do you keep going in this battle, especially when it feels so intense? And you know when you have those moments in your life where you, you see you know, your sin in, a, in, in greater clarity and you just feel like, oh, this is exhausting. When is this battle ever going to end? Well, the last point that we see in this passage is that there is an inner confidence that we can have. An inner confidence, even in the midst of the battle. And you see it in verse 24 and 25 where Paul cries out, Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me? Sorry, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Why does Paul cry out, wretched? Why? Because he feels wretched. The struggle against sin makes you feel wretched. And even as a new self, fighting the old self, you can't actually defeat the old self in your own strength. So there is a sense of, you know, wretched man that I am. But what does Paul do in that? He looks away from himself. Okay, he says... Who will deliver me? Who will deliver me from this body of death? He doesn't say, I will deliver me. (laughs) He doesn't say, I will try harder next time. No, he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And here we see that the battle against sin, it's never won in our own strength. It's only won by looking to Christ. You know, Jesus himself said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, you're in a battle. Apart from Jesus, you cannot make any progress. See, it's only Christ who can empower you to resist temptation. Only Christ can forgive you when you fall. Only Jesus can pick you up and assure you that the fight is not a lost cause. And the reason he can do that is because he has given you the victory. The final victory over sin, it's already done. It's already finished. It was finished at the cross when Christ saved you from your sin. One day he's going to come again and on that day you will be raised to be like him and the presence of sin will be gone forever. And then on that day there will be no more battle. Then it will be over. But see, that victory, it's already guaranteed because Christ died on the cross and rose again for you. And that's the inner confidence that you have in Christ. And so even on the days when you feel defeated, you take your eyes off yourself and you look to Christ and you go, hey, guess what, I'm not defeated because Christ has rescued me. Therefore, I can't lose. I cannot lose this battle because Christ has won it for me. And so the big change in your life, the change from going from a non-Christian to a Christian is not that you now do everything right. The big change is that you live your life with Christ as your only hope. When you get saved, you you don't go, thank you, Jesus, I'll see you another day and go off living the life, trying in your own strength to live as a Christian. No, no, you need Christ every moment. Okay, there's a song that goes... I need you every hour. Most gracious Lord. It's it's a song about relying on Christ for every single step. And one of the verses says, I need you every hour. 
stay very near. Temptations lose their power when you are near. See, that's the secret to the Christian life, depending on Christ. That's why in this passage, Paul talks about his struggle, but where does the struggle drive him? Not to his own strength, not to trying harder. It drives him to Christ, and that's the secret. That's how you live the Christian life, by depending on Jesus every step of the way. Who will deliver me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the inner confidence. That's why you don't give up. That's why you never raise the white flag with sin and go, okay, you win, because you have Christ. And Christ has delivered you and one day he will free you even from the presence of sin. What a saviour we have. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the, uh, yeah, the, the honesty that, that we see in Paul as he talks about his own struggle. And uh, we thank you, Father, that that struggle didn't end with defeat, but that he uh, is in glory now, is, is in the presence of Christ. And we thank you that it just reminds us that all that we have is because of grace. We can never earn salvation. We can never clean our lives up to the the point where you could accept us. But we know, Father, it's only Christ, only his righteousness given to us and only his empowering that that enables us to live each day. So, Father, help us all to to look at uh, our own struggles with sin, the, the places where your spirit has already convicted us, And Lord, we pray that in these areas that we would have confidence that we can fight the good fight, that we can take hold of all the means of grace that Christ has given us to be able to live a life that honours you. And when we fall, Father, help us to put our eyes on Christ and know that in him there is forgiveness so that we can keep going in his strength. And we pray it in his name. Amen.